You are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey everybody, this is Christopher Seals, and Wayne Randolph is somewhere in Europe. Bonjour. I don't know how to greet you. Um, but I have two special guests with me today. To my left is... John. You don't want a last name? You want oh, anonymity? There's a lot of you. John, John Bennett. John Bennett. And to the right of me is... Christine Iskander. Um, and both of these people are here with me today because they have mastered something um, that took a lot of us at least five or six years to master, um, and that is English. Well, I don't know if I have... Do we master English by five or six? Mm, ish. <laughs> ish. Yeah. Um, but I have them in here because the, the, the reason that we're talking about English is because when we read the Bible, most of us read the Bible, we're reading English. Um, and But it's not just English. It's also literature. And John and Christine both have a unique relationship with literature. Um, so, um, Christine, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, what you studied, um, your relationship with the English language and my literature and all of that. Of course. Um, all right. Well, actually, English isn't my first language. It's I consider it kind of my mother tongue, but I learned it when I was five. Um, I studied English. I studied comparative literature in undergrad and in grad school, and it's kind of the love of my life. <laughs> I love. I love literature. I love English. I love how dynamic it is, and I think studying the bible as literature is phenomenal nice well okay so you fell in love with literature and then so you studied tell us about your undergrad and your graduate work and kind of the things you focused on in there okay so for comp lit um the focus is on literary theory so in undergrad i did a whole lot of freud which i'm hoping we're not going to get into at all here (laughs) sometimes a cigar is just a cigar (laughs) sometimes most of the time according to literary theory it's not got it um but for grad school i studied um these two egyptian female serial killers um and that sentence might sound wrong but it's actually right they were two women who killed who supposedly killed a bunch of allegedly uh killed a bunch of women um and i studied that as comparative literature because it was supposed to show me how literature related to society and vice versa and what i discovered is that their story actually was falsified to suit the culture of the time so these two women were pretty much innocent but the newspaper um made it out for made it out as them being guilty so that they can blame the westernization of the middle east wow like they could blame the English people coming in um, and westernizing our women and creating them, making them into dogs. That's crazy. That's a quote from the newspaper. <laughs> so we, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we, we are probably going to have to get back to culture changing verdicts and justice and all of that um, mm-hmm. because it turns out the Bible was written in culture. Um, John, before we get there though, John, tell us about your background. What do you do? What are you <laughs> and a master of? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm a master of anything, but uh, I currently teach at the same school as you, as you well know. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, I've taught English in high school for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. My undergraduate was in creative writing and literature, 
And then I got my master's in teaching literature for adolescents after that. Do you want to do a shameless book plug right now? Because uh, you um, were a creative writer my book and you write not creatively. Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so I um, published a book this winter called Reading Blue Devils. And um, the devil is a central character in the book. And there's other religious figures throughout. I don't want to spoil it for you. Thank but. you. Yeah, I'm, at, I'm only at 45%, so no no spoilers. Um, yeah. But yeah, I feel like it's a, it's probably a good match for a lot of our listeners in that it, it has both of the educational themes in there and mm-hmm. some of the theological stuff in there. So if you're looking for um, an end-of-summer read, um, uh, pick up Reading Blue Devils. And if I can say, it is PG-13, so any... Buddy who's listening who's under the age of 13 ask your parents first good idea <laughs> and have them read the very first sentence <laughs> <laughs> my favorite sentence um all right cool so as literature creative writing um language experts i'm gonna we use that loosely so you don't have to play false modesty but you you've thought about this stuff significantly more most of us i would say that a lot of americans don't spend very much time reading and students oftentimes will just read because they're forced to by their teachers if then if then um and you too as people who have kind of poured your life into reading and reflecting and analyzing and creating um literature written text language how does that background i guess this expertise affect the way that you approach the bible um which when we look at it it's just a bunch of words so how does your understanding of language literature even culture affect your view of the Bible? Uh, so I was actually reflecting on this when you approached us about this. And I really realized that actually that was the, one of the reasons why I strayed from the faith for a while was because during my college years when I was in the midst of this literature and I, I assumed this culture of like, I know everything and the Bible is just this collection of fairy tales, mm. you know, and I, I viewed it as almost like an anthology of separate texts. Mm. And so coming back from that and hearing this term meta narrative hmm. was a completely like eye opening experience for me because I always just thought of it as this disparate set of stories that had no connection really. And um, it actually drove me a lot. I, I just, I guess couldn't really um, cement myself in the faith because of that, because of my view of it from a literature standpoint. Interesting. Okay, so meta narrative kind of brought you back. So when when you viewed it as like disparate elements, um, what was the what was the problem with that? Like for you? Yeah. So if it's disparate, it just seems like these are just a nice collection of stories meant to just you know kind of guide us in in nice little ways. And you know you think of stories like Jonah, which is actually now my favorite story. Hmm. But you just think, oh, it's just a nice little children's story about hmm. you know a whale and somebody living in a whale. And you don't actually see like how much um, richness is in that story and how mm. it's connected to everything else. You know, it's not just a story about a whale swallowing a guy. Mm. Um, but but at that time, that's all I thought it was. Got it. And so for me, that also like disproved the Bible's validity in my mind. Yeah, is because it was just separate stories. Right. It's just like an older, antiquated version of Hans Christian Andersen's. I guess collection. Right. Or even Aesop's Fables. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. It's just a set of stories. Yeah, interesting. Um, Christine, what about you? Um, with your comparative literature background, like, w- what? How does that interact with your view of scripture and how you interact with it? I think, in the positive sense, it 
has like I have zero problem shifting between the different types of texts that are in the Bible Um, because in my head like I would read a psalm and I'm like no I don't have to take this literally it's poetry and I don't have to I don't make a mental shift it's just there it's Hmm. automatic Um, and then I'll read some stories from the Old Testament and and again I'll think of it as history but then some part of it will automatically fall under the category of this is probably like an exaggeration or it's a fable. What's what's the purpose behind this? And so I will mm. always fall, fall back on what is this trying to tell me? Like what the telos of it, what's the thesis of it? And so it was totally fine for me to read through the Bible as a whole. But then I had a similar yet opposite experience for you because I've always seen the Bible as one large interconnected text. And then in undergrad, I had to read Paul's epistles as like history. And so I was like, going through it sentence by sentence and I was like I don't believe this this is horrible he's a- <laughs> and so I really hope I don't get in trouble for no, that <laughs> but I through picking apart Paul I was like no if I don't believe this then I don't believe the entire bible mm. um but yeah. then <laughs> but then I like consolidate it as no so what's the major message what is he trying to tell me mm. um and understanding the historical background and looking at it from like a literature perspective of like, okay, this is what was going on in his culture at this time. This is why he's saying this. That makes it so much less sexist and horrible. And yeah. <laughs> well, things. we talk about theory, right? Like we, we often bring like the reader response theory into yeah. it, right? But then we also have to take the historical, you know, context and yeah. everything and... Yeah, so looking at different lenses, I totally can relate to that too. Yeah. yeah. And so with, like, and what I think is cool is that even though they kind of seem like opposite um, experiences, they both kind of speak to the same thing because the, the meta narrative, like zooming out and seeing the whole thing as one big story doesn't validate all of the th- little tiny pieces yeah. in that big story, right? Yeah. And so when we see cases of rape or... Um, there, there's that episode in at the end of Judges where a woman is like raped by an entire village and then cut into twelve pieces and mm-hmm. sent off to start a war. Um, we don't read that and say this is the inspired word of God. Thanks yeah. be to God. Let let's live our lives accordingly. No, we can read that in the context of the meta narrative and be like, oh, yeah, I don't live like that. Yeah. Um, but it's part of the story. So even if there are times when Paul it comes off kind of sexist and talking about the glory of a woman as her long hair um, or whatever it is that he's saying. And I might get whatever. If, if you have like, you know, the historical background behind all that and you take issue with what I said, that's fine. Um, but still at first glance, if you have this sort of the Bible is magic and every little word is, has this magic to it, then um, you are going to come across a lot of serious cultural issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, with that, one of the things you said, Christine, is like this automatic thing that you do when you're reading and identifying genres. And I think that a lot of us in everyday life do that, right? Like when I open a letter from the IRS, like I am aware <laughs> that this is not hope. Well, this is not fiction yeah. or like or when I get a call from um, scam likely. Um, I don't, do your phones do that? Mm, no. I get a lot of junk calls and it like automatically sorts as scam likely. 
Oh, I mine doesn't soar. I just got a bunch of calls um, from someone who's speaking like Mandarin, and I'm like, this, this is definitely fake. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I've been sending calls to him just to promote my book, and that's, he's been ignoring me. Yes, so that's constantly. That. Yeah, scam likely. Um, but like when I get those calls and I hear the robot voice, like I automatically I'm like, okay, different genre. This is not important news okay. from the IRS. Um, and when I open up fantasy and there's people with names like Dalinar and. Mm. Adeline. Um, then I know, okay, we're reading fantasy. This is in a different world. And then when I read stories, even like also fiction that have like Maria as a name, like I'm able to like make these little distinctions automatically. Yeah. Um, now you guys have honed that craft a lot better than the average human being. Um, but why is it that you think that people turn that off with the Bible? Something I've, I've realized is that people don't use that same set of skills when they're reading scripture. What is it about the Bible that makes us kind of turn off this genre identification vetting process? Mm. That's a good question. It is. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people don't actually read poetry, which Mm. is part of the problem. Um, We have, we live in a society that really just takes in fiction a lot. Yeah. So, so they're going to read the Bible through the fictional lens. Mm. And again, that's a trap that I fall into that I think a lot of people fall into where they're just like, this is just fiction, Mm. not saying it's historical, it's poetry, it's epistles, you know, like, and Mm. so we just, we don't read these other kind of genres. Yeah. So we're not familiar with how to navigate through them and and what to think of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think like looking at the scriptures, particularly the old Testament, there are entire books of nothing but poetry. I mean, naturally there's like Proverbs, Psalms, uh, Ecclesiastes, all of those, but even within the vast majority of the prophets are poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, the book of Job is also like, there's two chapters of narrative, but then the rest of the 30 something are poetry. And so yeah. if we're not good at reading poetry, then yeah, it'd be, it'd be natural for us to lump everything into the same category as the Avengers. Right. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of it also is cultural. It's the way that you were taught to approach Mm. the Bible. Um, And thinking of the Bible as one text, um, we have to, in our faith, believe that some of it is historic and real or else we're straying from our faith. So when we look at um, the Gospels, when we look at what happened like with Jesus and what happened with the disciples, this is according to the Bible, like, this is what happened. Yeah. Um, and I think people start off reading that and then they'll go into Genesis and be like, oh, well, this also happened. Same thing. Yeah. Exactly. It's the exact same thing when he said it took 40 days. This one also took seven days. And there's no opening of the mind of, like, the possibility that this is just metaphorical. This is this is something else. This is explaining something else. Right. Um, so it depends on, I think, how you were taught to approach the Bible as well. Yeah, well, maybe that's a good question. How how were you taught to approach the Bible versus like how do you now view the Bible? Has that shifted at all for you guys? <laughs> yeah. I went to a Christian school and it was very fact-based. Well, no, I take that back. Elementary school was here's some wonderful stories and use your imaginations and live out these stories with these people. You know, mm-hmm. like imagine being on the boat with Moses. And, and then when I got into high school, it was purely just fact-based and um, I went to a Catholic high school and I'm not going to try to um, criticize Catholicism but it seemed like a lot of my schooling was why do we have these sacraments and why do we Mm. believe our morality Mm. and how does the Bible justify these beliefs Mm. and so it stopped being about how this applies to my life as much as how much this applies to the 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 the, the way that we should be thinking and the legality I guess of Mm. decisions yeah and I think that if 
I mean, if if that is the way that scriptures approach, then that could be problematic. If if the Bible is just a set of justifications for the things that we believe, now, like yeah. granted, w- within like Catholic theology, there have been like giant intellects that have been. It's more than just like I feel like justifying myself, unlike some of our students. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's still that danger of saying I believe X, so let me find. Mm-hmm. where I can see that in the Bible. Because if we do that, then we can justify things like slavery and oppression of natives and other things like that. Yeah, yeah totally. And and as a literature major, like we had to justify our beliefs. And so we always had to cite evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the danger of doing that with the Bible is that you're, you know, like the Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. you know, you pick these nice little yeah. um, snippets, snippets, but out of the context, it just doesn't make sense. And yeah. That's why the meta narrative was just so, I guess, uh, mind blowing for me was because it's not just these small things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's cool. Um, how about you? How did it shift for you? Well, I come from a family that is um, very literal about the Bible. So hmm. everything, everything in the Bible is literal. There are seven, 24 hour days. Um, everything that's happening in Revelation is going to happen exactly as it is verbatim. Um, and that's how I grew up but i don't think i ever actually believed that like Mm -hmm. even as a child i never really swallowed that um now like come to think of it when i was a kid i used to watch this series called superbook which was dubbed in arabic um it's originally (laughs) english um and these two kids would like fall into the stories into the bible um and they had this little robot named gizmo who would walk around with them um and what they would show is like the actual stories of the Bible. And I felt like the stories that they showed, those would be literal. But then they had an episode where they were like showing the creation. And I was like, oh, it's so pretty. And that's what it's supposed to be. It's like Mm. a pretty explanation of stuff that we don't understand. Um, And so I think I was like at a young age, I was really able to consolidate all of the science that I was learning. And I was like, this doesn't go against what the Bible is saying. Mm. Like, yeah, like there was daytime and then there was nighttime. What does that mean? That means a period of time. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean 24 hours a day. So I think I've like shifted from where my family had me start, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I actually ever stayed there for a long time. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of that, that if you view it, if you, okay, I'm not specifying the antecedent. So if you view like um, the Genesis account, maybe not as a literal historic um, uh, recounting of creation, then it eliminates a lot of the problems that you will face in life. Like when you read it and you're like, well, then how did the trees come before the sun? Mm. Um, Or like when it says that God speaks, what does that mean? If there's no universe for like sound waves to travel through or, um, all of those problems are kind of eliminated because that's not what the text is asking in the yeah. first place. You get to yeah. just be like, okay, well, what is the text yeah. asking? And then figure out what that is. You know yeah. what I, mean? I think that goes along with the, the concept of the meta narrative is, all right, so again, what's the purpose of this account? Like mm. they're giving us a nice explanation of like the start of the universe, something that where no human was present. Um, and so this is just something that is explaining that which we don't know in in a way that we can swallow in a story, like something that we can categorize. So say you're sitting around the the dinner table, the Thanksgiving table, or like at, you're at that um, church meeting. 
with a bunch of people from your church who you don't know where they're from. They're the laity, right? Um, and they're not literature majors, nor are they theology majors. Um, they're just the normal people who read the Bible. Um, and you say this kind of stuff. How is this different, you think, than like, like, have you ever gotten flack for, I guess, speaking differently? Um, yeah, I'll let you guys go first. You? I... <laughs> I've learned I don't talk about this around the dinner table. Um, yeah, no, of course I've gotten flack. Like, yeah. again, and... Yeah, with your background. With, yeah, yeah. With, with with my background, with the the church background, everything. Like, it's irreverent, actually, mm. to, to consider that something could be symbolic. Mm. Um, I remember my brother-in-law, like, legitimately was very upset with me because I told him I didn't like paul as a human mm. being and he was like then why do we even read the bible <laughs> that escalated so fast yeah. well i mean and and if you think about it like there are so many characters in the bible that like weren't great human beings even some of them who were authors yeah. of the bible like we have um just this last sunday we're we're covering one of the psalms and david did some really messed up stuff yeah. and he's the author of the psalms mm-hmm. right or um solomon um, throughout, he built God's temple using slave labor, but yeah. we still read Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's okay to not, not like Solomon, yeah. but then still be like, hey, this is a still a good text. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's going to be, it'd be hard for me to go to my Catholic table and say, maybe when Jesus said his blood and his body, it's not actually his blood and his body. Mm. Yeah. It's transfigured for us during the mass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've kind of drifted away from Catholicism, <laughs> but I'm not ready to make that leap just yet to mm. say, hey, maybe this is just a metaphor. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So you obviously see things differently than, than the masses. One For me, like one of the, do you ever find that you have to like talk around issues? Because for example, like I think earlier you used the word fable or like legend. Um, I've even used one time I remember having a conversation and I used the word myth mm-hmm. um, without defining the word myth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that so my major was biblical studies and then I did my master's stuff in teaching. But with biblical studies, it's kind of the similar to a literature major, at least at Azusa Pacific where I went, because it's saying, OK, well, ancient context, understand the literature, what is the different genres. Um, And so it's just like a little, it's a much more narrow focus, but still literature based. But one of the things that um, we discussed often is, okay, where do you draw the lines between what is a story that's meant to communicate meaning versus a story that's meant to communicate historical data. Mm. Um, And I think oftentimes at least within some of our, our more um, like conservative circles of our faith, there there's this view that the literal meaning is much more is better or elevated above the symbolic meaning. But even if we think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, Lazarus also died and rose again. Um, the, the widow's son died and rose again also. Um, but, but with Jesus, this actually affects us and we stake our lives on it because it has symbolic meaning, mm-hmm. right? It's not just that he died and rose again, but he died and rose again and it means something mm-hmm. um, symbolically, metaphorically for us today. Um, and so all that to say, like when you say something like myth, um, which just means like it's a story meant to communicate meaning, um, I, I think that oftentimes it puts up like a 
what am I thinking? Like radar for people to be yeah. like heretic. Yeah. Um, but I think realistically, like myth doesn't always necessarily mean not true. It just yeah. means the historicity isn't the point of this particular text, right? Yeah. Am I defining myth correctly? I so I think with myth there is the implication of not real. Okay. And I think that is that why you use is fable also the same? Um, fable, to my knowledge, is something where like you're you're there's a lesson behind it mm. there's there's a lesson to be learned there's like teaching in in the story itself yeah. it seems like it's similar to parable yeah exactly i yeah. feel like okay. fable and parable might be synonymous there might be something else that okay then i'm gonna we're gonna be in english class ready um so johnny appleseed there is a, a man in the beginning of the uh, american expansion who uh, puts a pot on his head, takes a bunch of apple seeds, and spreads them across the country in the untamed wild. Um, is like After hearing a story like that, if you're familiar with the story, is that would that be considered legend or fable or myth? Or is that... Yeah. <laughs> what, 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 what's the appropriate label for this? Because I don't know. I don't know the story. <laughs> um, so, so there's that one, which I guess is... It's legend, but it's not quite as legendary as... Um, What's his name? He has the big blue ox. And Paul he, Bunyan. Paul Bunyan, right. Yeah, so like the giant apple seed in some aspects could be conceivable. Like that could. There could be a crazy man with apple seeds right. who went to the forest. Yeah, that could have come from somewhere, right? Okay. But a giant blue ox, you know, that's going around with this guy who's chopping trees. Or with one swing. <laughs> one swing, right. So that, that needs some explanation behind it. Okay. Right? And so again, like when you look at the Bible as a whole, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, this logically makes sense and, mm-hmm. and the story is cohesive, right? But if you just have one story about a big giant guy who's walking around with his ox swinging things or a guy mm-hmm. who's planting seeds all over, like in order to, for it to be believable, there has to be more to it yeah. that kind of supports it and justifies it. So like the first like four or five verses of Genesis chapter six, it says that the sons of God saw that the... Uh, daughters of men were beautiful and they went to them and they produced the nephilim um who are now the giants that we speak of in in stories of old um when you hear a text like that like what does your genre alarm do in your head oh man sorry (laughs) (laughs) i like Like, knee-jerk reaction because you can we can like knee-jerk reaction is okay it's fantasy okay that's that's my knee-jerk reaction but i like I think I fall under. I, there was a term that you that you mentioned a while back when we were talking. Like I would rather say that there's stuff that I like don't know. Stuff that is not this worldly. Like I mm. think that it's perfectly conceivable that stuff existed that doesn't like work in our realm. Like beforehand, like other worlds, other dimensions yeah Mm -hmm. is that possible totally yes very much so but is it happening now is it something that like belongs to this realm i don't think so yeah Yeah, i mean like if we serve an all-powerful god then Mm -hmm. why can't he let somebody live in a whale for three days yeah right right? yeah why can't he allow these giants to to procreate or you know create giants that do that yeah but then over time they fade out yeah yeah so it's it's that weird thing where you're also grappling with that as a major as an english yeah you know like is this true? Is this fantasy? Like this could happen because this could, God is God. Exactly. Know? Yeah. Yeah. I think we all, like, I always want to leave a little bit of room for, mm, I don't know, maybe yeah. like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> giants. Why not God? Yeah. 
you've made a platypus, so why not? Yeah. Um, but I don't think, like, when I read something like that, this in no way, for me at least, like, affects, like, Abraham. This doesn't right. affect Jesus. This doesn't affect the apostles. Like, right. it's part of the creation story, which is something that is a story. Yeah. And I want to, like, be careful when I'm saying that because mm -hmm. there are, I think there are a lot of accounts in the Bible where things are given to us as a historical text. So like, this is the son of this person. He lived for said years. This yeah. is the son of this person. So I can't be like, is it symbolic? You know, when they said 150, really, is it symbolic? Mm -hmm. I like, I would like to believe that that is true. Mm -hmm. um, not true. That is literal. Yeah. Um, Whereas when we're talking about giants and them shacking up with some humans, like right. what's, what is there, why is it necessary for this to be literal? Right. Yeah. yeah that totally makes sense. So um, I think part of the, the unique position that we're in, right? Like, so if, if we're having this conversation with adults, that's one thing, right? Because then we are hopefully dealing with other mature humans, even if they may raise yeah. their voice at us. But like we can say, okay, we can think deeply about this. You've had your thoughts formed. And so let's interact on this topic of how to read genres. And you can even use the word genres. Mm -hmm. um, but when like John, when you're teaching in the high school classroom or um, with your college students, if like, I, I'm sure that some of them are probably like, oh yeah, like she's a Christian. So what does she do with this literature stuff and being a Christian? Like, so if a college student or if a high school student comes up to you and says, okay, well, well then what do we do with the Bible? How would you then approach those questions for kids? What, like, what is, what is some advice that you would give to kids on how to approach this ancient text? It's mm. a very good question. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of it is, well, I, I think some of the good teaching is also they need to discover it for themselves mm -hmm. because the more that we tell them something, the less that they internalize it. Hmm. So for them to be able to, so we give them like the resource, like this is yeah. where you should go to look for this, but you look, you search. Yeah. Because where I fell off was because people were telling me what to think. Hmm. Yeah. And, and that never ended up well for me yeah. in, in that regard. Um, but then also just give them some little nuggets like, well, is this, what genre do you think this is? Because we teach genre in our classrooms. Yeah. So what, what, what do you think this is genre-wise? And what do you think is going on in this time period? Because we also do teach like historical criticism. Like, what, How does this text interact with the time period that's written? Yeah. Hmm. But also knowing that this is also the living word of God. Like, How does this also connect to you? Yeah. And having them think about those things. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think with college students, I'm, hopefully they're at a level where they are thinking critically and would be able to approach it in the way that we're kind of discussing where it's like yeah read it what is it what does this sound like to you mm. how does this relate to other facts that you know if it's something that doesn't work with the science that you're learning in the classroom next door then okay how do we how do we resolve this issue mm. um but i think for me the danger comes when i'm helping with the like youth at, at church. church who are 13 14 years old i don't think they have yet to develop that I love you guys. Sorry, I don't think that they <laughs> developed that skill of being able to think about texts as as critically as as people who are a little bit older. Mm. Um, and I think the best way is, is the Socratic method of like, okay, well, what like, why do you think? Why do you think? Mm. Why do you mm. think this way? Why is it that this chapter is written this way, and then this story is written in a very different way? 
what does this tell you? Yeah. Students were asked, how is the Bible different from other books and literature? I think what sets the Bible apart from most other literature is the idea of biblical genre. The Bible is a history book, and it's also a book of wise sayings and proverbs, and it's also a book on how to live your life. And I think that's, that's the most distinctive feature of the Bible that separates it from most other literature in our world. The Bible is God's special revelation to humanity, and it gives us a foundation for how we're supposed to live our lives. One of the first things I think of is just that the Bible doesn't really strike me as a book, really. I mean, it's like a bunch of pages bound together and has like a cover and everything. Um, and that's only one, it's a physical copy, but like it's a bunch of poems and letters and other types of literature written by a bunch of different authors, like all put together and there are some common themes and things like that, but it's there's not like this one narrative where it's following this character that's like journeying through a mysterious land or even like a, a book about this one specific idea that's like teaching you information on um, or something like that. So yeah, I think that's just what I would say. Like it doesn't really even feel much like a book. And you could get into a, a conversation about what makes something a book, but that's just my first inclination. What sets apart the Bible can be boiled down to the fact that it has been written by a number of different authors, compiled across centuries, and encompasses many diverse genres, yet still presents one unified, fallacy-free, beautiful historical account persisting even to the present day with the ability to radically change hearts. So provide, I guess, yeah, providing them those resources that you would use with any text is really good. But um, one of the things you mentioned, John, is that the Bible's different because we also like throw this phrase around. It's the inspired word of God mm-hmm. or it's spirit breathed or it's God's word um, or it's a sacred text. Um, this like divine element to it throws a whole monkey wrench in the mix. Cause I was thinking as you were like both explaining about genres, I think that for some students, they would be like, it's not a genre. It's the Bible. Um, that it, it doesn't apply. Like we don't use these same tools cause it's the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like it's its own genre, which kind of like both of you were pointing to that, that how problematic that can be. Yeah. Um, if we, if we read the book of judges, the same as we read the book of Ephesians, but if they approach it that way, then like, what do we do with that piece? Um, what do we do with the piece of, okay, it is the inspired word of God or um, it's sacred or it's special, right? Like it's different than other books in that, like no one reads um, Moby Dick and says, how can I apply this to my life? Well, okay, some people might. I would read Literature it. people, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> what is my white whale? <laughs> exactly. Okay, so you have, okay, so is 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 the Bible special then? Like, because Moby Dick was written with a moral that can be applied to a lot of people. Um, Or even, like, Paolo Coelho, he writes, like, these books like The Alchemist and um, The Fifth Mountain that use these fictional tales to teach beautiful moral stories that you can then internalize and live your Mm -hmm. life by if you wanted to. Um, So what sets the Bible apart? Like, is the Bible different than these other books? If, If we're using the same tools, maybe applying it the same way, what sets the Bible apart? What like what is the divine piece in there, and how does that whole thing work? Yeah, mm. well, literature in itself is awesome because it it talks about these very small aspects of the human experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because every good story has 
conflict. Mm-hmm. And so, so we can see in these stories, like, this is, this is a conflict that resonates with me. Hmm. But these stories don't explain, like, our beginning, and it doesn't explain eternity. It doesn't explain, like, why we need a Savior. And mm-hmm. the, this, like, stirring inside of us that, that we can't even explain, that, that always speaks to there is a God, and mm-hmm. that, that we need God. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, good literature does invoke, like, this human experience. Yeah. But not the... the everything else that comes with the Bible. Hmm. The explanation of the human experience. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree. And I think the Bible, I don't know, like that, I think part of the reason why I think the Bible as a whole is divine mm-hmm. is you can, see, there is this like linear connection between all of these texts which do fall into different genres. Um, so I can see Jesus in all of the different books of the Bible mm. before Jesus was Jesus. So mm. I like I very distinctly remember when I was younger and someone was telling me the story of um, the um, Hebrews in Egypt putting the blood of the lamb, mm. the blood of the lambs on their doors. I was like, oh, my God, it's like Jesus. Yeah. Um, and this is like six year old me. Yeah. And so you can see Jesus throughout the text. Mm. Um, and I think what differentiates the Bible from other texts is the Jesus of it. So mm. so he is, for me, like my reason in living, my answer to the purpose. Um, whereas I can't read the brothers Karamazov and be like, yes, Ivan is why I am alive. <laughs> like, <laughs> It'd probably be Alyosha, let's be real. Maybe. I think I, I identify quite a bit. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and I think none of the other texts claim to be that, whereas the mm. Bible does. Like mm-hmm. the Bible claims to be, here is the word of God, and I believe it. That's mm. I think that's part of my faith, and I think that's part of being Christian is is seeing this as the word of God. And I don't think many texts... A claim to be that, and the ones others who do, I don't think hold as much water Got as it. the Bible. Yeah. yeah, and like when you read Harry Potter, you don't have these like wonderful moments in your life where like, well, because Harry Potter got the golden snitch, like this wonderful thing in my life happened. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. You read the Bible and you interact with it on a daily basis, and you find these things in your life that start to change. You know, I, I just see that that's where the, the divine comes out through mm. the Bible. Yeah. You know? Yeah, in that interaction with the text, that yeah, there's like something sacred that emerges. Yeah, yeah. So, how do we then parse out? Like, because I don't know when when you read any ancient document, um, there is culture involved. Um, there is an ancient culture involved. So, how do we, like, as smart literature people who also are reverent to what God can do through this text, um, how do we parse out the divine element and the human cultural element? Um, because uh, to be quite honest, like for me, sometimes when I'm doing that, it feels like I'm just picking and choosing. Mm. I'm like, I'm in favor of women and female empowerment. And so therefore, like, that's just cultural. But I am against, I don't know, some other sin or like sex before marriage. I think that that's wrong. And so that's not cultural. That's eternal, timeless truth. And mm. we have to play these games because um, that's why um, as you were talking about your your master's work, I was like, okay, if if the culture can affect um the judicial system and people's lives hanging in the balance like 
culture is going to be doing the same thing to literature. Yeah. Culture is going to be shaping the things that people are writing. They're going to be shaping the ways that people write about those things. And so, I mean, if we have Paul, who's a first century Roman citizen, Palestinian Jew, then like how, how do we discern between first century Palestinian Jew and timeless divine truth with which we interact? How do we, separate that stuff out so that it's not just like here's a great piece of literature from an ancient time to here's this thing that should change the way that i do relationship the way that i do politics the way that i do Mm -hmm. um teaching how do we parse those things out yeah um my gut response to that is that the two should kind of go hand in hand because sometimes when you understand fully the context of it Mm -hmm. it makes today's application even more real yeah you know just thinking about um something I'd heard recently on a sermon was talking about the Canaanites and Joshua and why it was so important that they don't, you know, intermarry with the Canaanites yeah. and why they needed to like almost just destroy that, that civilization, not fully because he spoke in hyperbole, but yeah. when you th- realize what the Canaanites were doing in that time and you understand the historical context of it, yeah. it makes you realize how that can apply today with us, you know, marrying fellow Christians because it, it keeps out this ungodly element from our lives and our families and, um, you know, not saying that you shouldn't. Yes, you should marry Christians. I don't, I'm going to dig myself in a hole. So I'm gonna <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, maybe he's going symbolic. Like, we shouldn't, like, hook up with sin or... Yeah, that's more... That sounds great. We should yeah. hook up with yeah, sin. That's with that. good. Well, and yeah. I, I mean, naturally, like, you see, though, that there's this interesting line. Like, you can dig yourself in a hole because when reading a text like that, you could all of a sudden be like, and that's why whites and blacks should not marry. Right. Um, because you can get, and someone could be like, I'm just reading the Bible. Sorry, sure. I didn't mean to go Southern. Um, but I'm just reading the Bible. Um, and so this is why this stuff should not happen. But at the same time, if we take a step back and like interpret it differently, then we can say, okay, well, it means like religiously, um, not ethnically. Or we can say it means yeah. it's a it's a metaphor for our relationship with sin. Or yeah. um, so how like how do we go about that parsing? And yeah, I don't know. So I'm going to I'm going to try and tread lightly here because I don't know how to verbalize exactly what okay. I'm what I'm thinking here. Um but I think I totally agree with John in that it goes hand in hand, but I think we have to think what is God saying and what is the person saying or what mm-hmm. is the situation saying. Mm-hmm. So when we read texts in the Old Testament, when we go through uh, Leviticus and we have all of these laws like why can I so easily say I you know no I can cut my hair no yeah. I can wear polyester like yeah I'm sure <laughs> like God is God's okay with it yeah. um and I think this is where we have to parse it out is again what's the thesis what's the reasoning behind it hmm. so when we look at it historically and we see that yeah eating shrimp or eating what other whatever other restricted foods pork pork, yeah like this is for like health reasons and sanitary like sanitary things um and what's the purpose behind that it's because god wants us to like live long happy and healthy lives Mm. can i say that the bible tells me that i need to like live a long happy and healthy life yeah i can say that this is what this is the reasoning behind why why god is saying something like this um, and then when you think about like a text or when you think about something like you shouldn't intermarry, where would race fall into that? Like mm. there is no, 
healthy reason for mm-hmm. why people of different races shouldn't marry mm-hmm. that doesn't yeah. that doesn't go along with the narrative of the bible mm-hmm. um like god created men and women of all races and of all colors and he didn't make a differentiation of like this is better and this is worse that's not that's not biblical mm-hmm. uh, to my knowledge, yeah. that's not yeah, biblical yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um whereas when we think of yeah like yoking oneself with someone who will bring you down whether that be marriage or friendship or anything else like it doesn't mean like you should not befriend christians non-christians like that's i think that's definitely not what the Mm. bible is saying um but like think about the info like what does it imply if you are marrying someone Mm. who is not of the same faith Mm. like that means that what you like you don't believe what it is that you are saying that you believe um and I think that the Bible does speak to that. Yeah. And, and the heart of it is, like, you know, marriage is such an intimate thing that if you're not on the same page with something as meaningful as religion, yeah. you know, it could lead to problems down the road. Yeah. And it's, you know, it that's, will that's, lead to problems down the road, I feel yeah. like. Yeah. 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 And I think that a lot of this with, with this interpretive method, one of the issues is that, like, a lot of it seems to, like, lean on common sense. Yeah. Um, and, like, our kind of, I guess depending on the word you want to use are more progressive, are more enlightened, mm-hmm. are more like our are, are greater awareness that mm-hmm. like racism is bad and slavery is not a good thing yeah. and that women are not property. And like, we have these perspectives now that weren't in the ancient context. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got these perspectives. Like some people use the Bible to back those perspectives and some people used the Bible to back the traditional perspective yeah. that wanted to keep slaves and wanted to continue racism. And so, I think for me, one of the things that like the big temptation for me to overcome is to allow these differing interpretations to like separate me from other people. Because um, as soon as you talk about Genesis chapter one and historicity, like you automatically draw lines in the sand. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that the lines aren't necessarily a bad thing as long as both of us are still coming to the line to talk about it. Um, Because I think that one of the things that I do is like, I'm kind of a non-confrontational person. I will like make one of these statements, see that I got some flack and then I'll be like, okay, well that's a good point. And then shut the conversation down. Um, But if we don't struggle, if we don't fight about it, if we don't interact about it, then like we won't actually push knowledge to a new place because otherwise then we can just use, read a response criticism and then it's like okay no it means what it means to me but it doesn't have to mean that to you yeah and then everything devolves into relativism and yeah. slavery yeah. is okay but it's not okay yeah um and people saying the holy spirit told me that this is the truth and, right you know like, yeah it's like well where do you back that up with yeah. That? yeah yeah exactly so we i think the part of what's important is the struggle is the the argument about yeah. it you know what i mean like i'm sure that some of you who are listening right now are um, maybe even some of the things that we've said, you're like, oh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Well, voice it. Um, and then we can talk about it and push back and forth and I'll do my best to not run and hide in a hole. <laughs> um, but if in, it's in that push and shove that we actually are more likely to find truth, to continue growing. Like it was in that, like if you look through the entire meta narrative, it is like a constant push and shove yeah. between the culture and God. Yeah. Right. And so I, I think that, yeah, the pro- like what you guys are saying 
seems to reveal that like there is, there's a divine element and there's a cultural element and sometimes they hit each other and we have to play this fun game of being like okay god where are you yeah in it yeah um i remember mm. that sorry go ahead well i was just gonna say real quickly that just one of the things that our culture doesn't do well is ask questions of each other as mm. a means of um coming to truth yeah and i think that's something that i see in the bible that i really want us to do more is like ask questions and use the questions to kind of guide the thinking to, yeah to enter into that conversation yeah Sorry. no no um i remember you gave a sermon a while back and it definitely stuck where you said that the truth is in the tension hmm. it's the truth is in hmm. the conflict the truth is in the question of it um and i think there's a lot of evidence in that in the bible itself like if you go through a proverbs a, a proverb you're going to like your head is going to spin off if you don't realize that it's talking in like these two, like you can't in one verse say that like every day is guided by God. He has control of everything. And then the next day is the next verse says the plan of like the plans of the folly fall into. Yeah. 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 That I think in like, yeah, a good example is in, I think it's Proverbs 19, but the, in one verse it says, answer a fool according to his folly yeah. um, because then you'll show how dumb he is. Yeah. And then a couple of verses later it says, don't answer a fool according to his folly because he'll drag you into it. Yeah. It's like, wait, am so I which one to- is it? Yeah. 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 And like there, I think that there are so many examples of that and the answer is, is yes to both. Like, yeah, it, it works both ways and mm-hmm. yeah. the truth is in the tension. Yeah. And so I think that with our students, I, I think what you're, you're onto something with this, like, I think it's in the questioning of the students. Now, like, as you were saying, like some, some of them need tools. You can't just be like, Hey, read this and good luck. Um, but you can be like, there are things called genres and we can teach students about genres mm-hmm. and we can teach students about like what divine inspiration even means. And then we can argue about what it means. Um, but if we give them that scaffolding, um, then, and then allow them to discover this, the text for themselves, then we won't end up with this thing that we need to kick against, right? We won't end up with like, oh, like those dang Christians, I'm going to go to college and not be one of them anymore. Hmm. Um, And so I think that, like, if we just took that advice, if we just got good at asking the questions and got good at this genre identification and the conversation, um, then what that would do is it wouldn't ostracize our literature experts that are among us. Um, and it wouldn't ostracize our science experts that are among us. And it wouldn't, um, push these people to the margins who like, if our literature and our science and our education and our moral and political experts all came to the table and fought about these texts, then we probably would be in a significantly better place, Mm -hmm. um, as a church, as a, as a people. Um, so um thank you john for being with us and thank you christine for being with us your students are lucky people um so guys read the bible well and teach others to do the same peace